chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, tell them the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the Gospel of Christ. Good morning, everyone. I want to start by saying uh, thank you for your prayers and for your care over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, We've really uh, felt loved uh, and we're really thankful for our church family here. Um, I should say Lilia is unfortunately not with us. She's homesick, so you don't get a chance to meet Sophia for another week or two. Uh, You're stuck with me. Uh, But before we uh, take a look at uh, Mark 11, why don't we spend some time in prayer? Please join me. Heavenly Father, uh, please help us to see your Son more clearly this morning, uh, that we may see ourselves more clearly, and that we might align ourselves uh, with your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as as Luke mentioned, it's Palm Sunday today, uh, which marks the last Sunday before Easter. Uh, And when I was growing up, uh, much like this morning, we uh, I can remember Palm Sundays at my church because we would always get uh, a flax cross. Now, usually they'd give them to us at the end of the service, uh, and they'd often end up on on the sun visor of our car, or uh, perhaps in, slid into the air conditioning unit, or uh, attached to the dashboard. Uh, and from memory, they would usually last a few days at most, uh, unless my siblings or I had sort of taken them apart before then. Uh, I'll show you, I'll, I'll protect this one more. Uh, but as a kid, it never really struck me that these flax crosses were actually a helpful reminder of what lay ahead that week. They provided people with a small and yet significant opportunity to reflect on what Jesus was about to do for them at that first Easter all those years ago. It was almost a chance to stop and think about your own relationship with God. This morning we're, we're looking at Mark 11 uh, 
And Mark does provide us with a chance to reflect on our relationship with God uh, as we consider Jesus on the road to Jerusalem where he knows he will soon be crucified. Uh, Now, there are the three main things that happen in our passage this morning. Firstly, there's an interaction between Jesus and two of his disciples. Then the climax of the passage comes with Jesus' interactions with the crowds. And finally, there's somewhat of an anticlimax as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. Uh, So we'll spend our time looking at those three sections, and then we'll think about how Mark is challenging us this morning. Well, before we look closer at chapter 11, let me remind you of what's happened to this point in the book. In the first eight chapters, Jesus has slowly been revealing his power and authority, healing people with sickness and disease, driving out evil spirits, showing his authority over nature, uh, even raising the dead to life. Uh, In chapter 8, verse 29, it's one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, who recognises that he is the Christ or, or the Messiah, the one who had been promised. And while Jesus confirms Peter's claim, he's remained pretty cautious about letting people know who he is. There are a few times where Jesus specifically gives orders not to tell others about who he is. It happens in Mark chapter 3, in chapter 5, and in chapter 8 as well. But all this caution changes in chapter 11 as Jesus approaches Jerusalem. Here, Jesus intentionally reveals himself as king. So let's take a closer look at these verses. Uh, And we begin in verse 1 with Jesus and his disciples on the road to Jerusalem, and they they come to these two two towns outside the city, Uh, the first of which I won't bother pronouncing, and the second, Bethany. Uh, And we find this slightly odd account of Jesus instructing a couple of disciples to go and commandeer this colt or this young donkey. Now, it's an an odd account for a couple of reasons. Firstly, the, the details of how the disciples are to get the colt are kind of strange. And secondly, the fact that Jesus requests a cult that has never been ridden before is also slightly odd. Uh, we'll come back to that soon. So Jesus, he sends two of the disciples into the next village to get the cult. Now, now stop for a moment and imagine what the disciples would have been thinking at this point. Uh, they're in a pretty vulnerable position. I'm not sure what the, the punishment is for borrowing a cult uh, back then, but this is the kind of situation you can see going horribly wrong. They're probably thinking, let's, let's get in, get the cult, and get out of there and avoid any awkward conversations that may arise. It seems like the kind of mission that you'd rather some of the other disciples get sent on. But sure enough, as they find the cult and go to untie it, people come along and question them. It looks like they're trying to steal the cult. But they do as Jesus instructed. They tell them that the Lord needs it, and the people let them go, just as Jesus had said. And it's worth pausing and thinking about why this account is included by Mark at this point. Jesus knows what lies ahead for himself. He knows he will suffer and die and be raised again. But his disciples only know some of what lies ahead. And there are certainly things that they don't understand. But here, through this event, the disciples learn once again that they can trust Jesus. 
no matter how vulnerable a situation may appear, his word can be trusted. It's certainly something that he's already shown them over his three years of ministry. But for their sake, he shows them again, perhaps in light of what was to come. Uh, And this is something that we would do well to remember. In a day and age where where people are getting more and more sceptical about trusting others, it's worth us pausing and recognising that Jesus shows himself to be trustworthy here. And he shows it time and time again, even in moments of uncertainty or vulnerability. His words to us are trustworthy. So the disciples, they they return reassured of this and they bring the colt to Jesus. And in verse 7, they throw their cloaks over it and Jesus sits on it. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, in in 2 Kings chapter 9, a similar thing happens uh, for for King Jehu uh, when he's announced as king. Cloaks are are put on the ground and they're supposed to act as like a, a makeshift throne. So Jesus is kind of being alluded to as a king. And now we get to the the second part of the passage, Jesus' encounter with the crowds. In verse 8, as Jesus rides along, the people spread their cloaks on the ground ahead of him and lay branches down as well. Now an, an obvious question is why? Well, what they were doing was an ancient practice to welcome a new king. It would be weird for us to see palm branches uh, and cloaks scattered across Shirley Road if we were to welcome someone famous. But at the same time, there are, there are some pretty weird things that we do to recognise people of status. Uh, a classic example is how we put red carpets down uh, for famous people to walk on. It portrays to us that they're important in some way. But here, there's, there's far more going on than just a new king. This is actually a fulfilment of a prophecy from over 500 years ago. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is the Lord Jesus. Israel's king has come. Uh, and he's riding on the foal of a donkey, which, which people take to mean an unridden donkey. Uh, and the crowd seems to have recognised all of this. They affirm it in verse 9. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowd were actually quoting Psalm 118. They, they know God's word and they're praising God and proclaiming it. Uh, it's interesting that Hosanna means save now or, or save us. And so as, as the people yell it out, they're essentially asking Jesus to save them. Uh, and it's fitting because that's exactly what he's heading to Jerusalem to do. Jesus is on his way to the place that's at the very heart of Israel. Jerusalem is like the, the Paris of France or the London of England or the Christchurch of New Zealand. It's, uh, it's where it all happens. Jerusalem is is where the temple is, the very place that God had dwelt among his people. And it's exactly where Jesus was heading to save them. So then in verse 10, similarly, they yell, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. 
Now, this, this reference to David seems to be a, a recognition that David is from the line of David, uh, that Jesus is from the line of David. He's the promised king who is the descendant of David. He fits the bill. And so you have this promised king who has finally arrived. It's no wonder the, the people are delighted. After generations and generations of waiting, uh, it's a beautiful moment. God's people knowing his word and recognizing his promised king and praising him. But as we get to the, the final section, uh, which is just verse 11, and Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem, uh, we should get some feelings of unease. Notice he isn't given the warm reception uh, that he got from the crowd earlier. He goes to the temple and looks around. He's in God's house, the place where the people of God are to come and honour him. You'd think that this would be the place where people would be most excited to see Jesus. And yet, there's no mention of a warm reception as Jesus gets there. There's no mention of Jesus being greeted by the religious leaders, by the Pharisees or Sadducees, the high priests, the teachers of the law. All we're told is that Jesus looked around the temple and since it was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve disciples. There's no king's welcome in Jerusalem. Jesus doesn't even stay there. Uh, Perhaps it wasn't safe for him. It's just Jesus and the 12 disciples. The crowds who were earlier praising him seem to have left. Uh, And it's actually the the crowds in particular that I want us to think about this morning. See, in just days, their cries of Hosanna, save us, will be replaced by cries of crucify him, crucify him. It's crazy to think that these people who knew the word of God well, well enough to recognize that Jesus is the one who's come to save, can be singing his praises here, but will soon abandon him. And it makes you wonder, how could they change their tune so quickly? Uh, Some of the, the imagery from Zechariah could lead you to believe that this king that was promised would be a conquering king. Perhaps that's what the crowds had hoped for, a king who would finally bring an end to Roman oppressors, a king who would conquer the enemies of God's people and take back Jerusalem by force, perhaps a a political revolutionary. But that simply isn't Jesus. Jesus is the suffering servant, the prince of peace. It's striking that as Jesus rides to Jerusalem, He has no army with him. There are no chariots or or soldiers by his side. Instead, we see a humble king not coming to destroy those opposed to him, but coming to die for them. And as we consider Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, and as we consider the crowds, I want us to think about where their hearts were really at. They do the right things. They say the right things. They knew God's word well enough to quote it. They gave Jesus the glory that is fitting for him. And yet, when Jesus eventually gets to the cross, there were very few people still by his side. It seems their hearts were were far from him. And there's a warning there for us as we reflect on our own lives uh, ahead of Easter. 
because we too can, can do the right things. We can turn up to church most weeks, go to Bible studies, serve in ministry. We can say the right things. Maybe we can even quote parts of the Bible. And yet our hearts can also be deceptive. They can be far from Jesus. It's worth asking the question, are we worshipping Jesus for who he is or who we want him to be? Are we worshipping Jesus for who he is or who we want him to be? Mark shows us that there can be a difference between the two. Behind the crowd's words of praise and, and the calls to save, there were expectations of how Jesus would save. When those expectations weren't met, people were quick to abandon him. Who wants to follow a lowly king who will be crucified? Uh, and the same can be true of people today, can't it? We can have our own expectations of, of who Jesus is and what he can do for us. Sadly, this can sometimes be well-intentioned, but false expectations. Things that go beyond what God's word says. And when our expectations aren't met, like the crowds, we're tempted to abandon Jesus. I'm sure we all know people who have, who have sadly walked away from Jesus because he hasn't met their expectations of him. He hasn't taken away their suffering. He hasn't taken away their hurt. He hasn't taken away their loneliness or their struggles with sin. I'm also sure that we ourselves sometimes have the wrong expectations of Jesus from time to time. I know I have. And it's tempting not to take Jesus at his word when life is difficult. It can be tempting to abandon Jesus when things don't go as we've hoped. There are times where we wish the Christian life was easier. But throughout his ministry, Jesus has alluded to the fact that the Christian life is not easy. It's a challenge. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus called on his people to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. Uh, in Mark chapter 9, he, he calls on them to be eager to serve others and to seek to be last here because it will mean they will be first in his kingdom. In Mark chapter 10, he calls on his people to endure persecution in this life because it won't compare to the blessing they will receive in eternity. None of those words of Jesus seem easy. But they certainly are worthwhile. Jesus has our eternity in mind. How do we know it will be worthwhile? Because Jesus is willing to head to Jerusalem for us. Now, we've seen this morning that Jesus, his words are trustworthy. He knew that heading to Jerusalem was the right thing, despite how foolish it might have seemed to others. Because he knew that death wouldn't be the last thing. Now, we'll, be, we'll be thinking more about that this coming week. But as, as we go through life, as we face different struggles, remember, we're in a more fortunate position than the crowds were. We have the, the word of God with us. Throughout the Bible, we see that Jesus is trustworthy that it's completely right for us to trust him for what he did at Easter and what he will do one day when he calls us home. Uh, you may well have heard of Steve Saint. 
He was the son of a a missionary, Nathaniel Saint, who was murdered along with four others by locals who was trying to evangelise in the Amazonian part of Ecuador. Now for some, the, the loss of one's father in such a tragic circumstance could have easily caused someone like Steve to abandon their faith. Yet after some years, Steve returned to the village where his father was murdered to find that some of the men who had murdered him had since become Christians, uh, and he befriended them. He even lived with them. Steve seems like a man who grew to understand his Saviour's purposes. Uh, My prayer for us as we look ahead to Easter is that we too would continue to line ourselves up with Jesus' purposes. It's it's one thing to just proclaim Jesus as Lord. It's quite another to also live with him as Lord through the challenges that we face in life. Well, as we finish, I'm going to leave a couple of uh, minutes for us to reflect on our own lives and our own personal uh, relationship with God. Uh, And then after that, we're going to stand and sing a new song, Jerusalem, which helps us uh, to think about Jesus on the journey to the cross uh, in the lead up to Easter. So a couple of minutes to reflect and then musicians are going to come up and, and get our attention.